Your reality is spiritual. His truth is His truth. And if we can align with God's reality, we will finally be living by reality. So last week was like part one of kingdom citizenship, right? Is it okay if we do a part two? Um, I'm going to start, I'm going to read a couple of scriptures because I want to just ground us on some, there's nothing wrong with information, right? I want to ground us on some information and then we're going to move with God into great places. In fact, I want to warn you, we're going to, we are going to march through some scripture today. I guess I feel like if I warn you, then now I've got permission to do whatever I want because you've been warned. Um, So go to Romans chapter 14 and verse 16. It's the first thing I want to read you. And the reason I'm doing this, this is a definition of the kingdom. Okay, is that valuable? A definition of the kingdom. It says, um, I still hear pages. See, I'm already moving fast. You're going to have to be quick. (laughs) Here it says, Therefore do not let your good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Okay, we just found out what it's not. But it is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. So did you hear the definition? One definition. It's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The first, just before we even get started, I just want to get grounded in the fact that the kingdom of God is you being in the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's our starting point. You know, um, in in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, um, who you you understand who he is. He was the wisest man of his time. Why? Because God said, ask me for something and I'll give it to you. Ask me and I'll give it. And Solomon said, "Um, I want wisdom. And so God said, you want wisdom? If that's what you want, I'll give you that and I'll give you everything that people usually ask for. Prosperity, peace, wealth, the things of the kingdoms of this world, I'll even give you that. Okay, and he said, Solomon said that there's nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and be merry, right? Now, here's what I want to point out, just to get us rolling here. Solomon was talking about the wisdom of this world. You understand the spirit had not yet been given. The kingdom, in the sense that we live in the kingdom now, had had not yet come upon us. The work of Christ had not finished it so that we are the temples of the Holy Spirit, which is the kingdom of God. That had not happened yet. So he said it's eating and drinking and being merry is the best thing for a man. Now this morning, we're going to see, and we're already seeing, in this scripture that I've already read, that there's far better for a man. There's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. There's the kingdom of God, the Spirit in us, being built into the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's what we're going to talk about. That's a good citizenship. Actually, I want to stop and pray. Father, I just ask that in these words this morning that they would not just be words. We ask you for your presence, that you would be tangible to us and that you would be working. We, we accept your promise that you are always working. We ask you to work in our hearts now. Transform us into a people of the presence of your kingdom. In the name of Jesus. Okay, go with me to John chapter 3 and verse 1. I'll really give you time to get there this time. We're going to be here a minute. This is, uh, you know, this is the same passage we read last week. How many people were here last week? Let me see. Okay, that helps me. This is Jesus having a conversation with Nicodemus. And specifically, he's having a conversation about citizenship. So, in other words, and actually, it's specifically about entry into the kingdom. Is it amnesty or an application process or um, asylum? What's his? He says that you must be born again. Now, okay, let's see what you retained. Why, why is it that the metaphor that Jesus chooses here for entry into this citizenship 
is birthright citizenship. You must be born again. Why is that? Who's got it? Somebody? Yes, because citizenship in his kingdom is being a son of the Father. There's only one citizenship in his kingdom, and that is being a son. You have to be a member of the royal family. There's no such thing as being a citizen of this kingdom and not being a son. Amen? Why? Because he wants to give you the inheritance. Do you remember that? You know, only a son gets the inheritance. Now, now go with me. We're going to read some of this. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to pull things out of the same interaction with Jesus that I didn't talk about last week or I didn't focus on last week. So let's start right in verse 1. It says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So Jesus is talking to uh, an expert in the law, an expert in religion, <laughs> and, and a member of their high court. Okay? This man came to Jesus by night because he wasn't going to do it publicly. He's an expert in the law and a ruler in the court. It says to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. That's why he's going to Jesus. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, unless one is born into my family, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There's the entry. Now Nicodemus says to him, How can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born you see, he's looking from, we talked about this last week, he's looking from a world perspective. He's not tracking with Jesus because he's not understanding that this is a kingdom, like we read, of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's a kingdom in the Spirit, right? Impacting the physical, but it's a kingdom in the Spirit. Now, here's where it gets interesting, and we didn't focus here last week. Jesus answers this question and he begins to speak about himself because God is one, right? And he begins to speak about the Holy Spirit. Literally a description of the person of the Holy Spirit that we just found out is the present kingdom of God for us, right? He answers and says, Most assuredly I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now listen, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. He said, don't think this is a funny thing. Don't marvel over that. Now listen, he gives a literal description of the person of the character, of the way of the Holy Spirit. Listen, it says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone born of the Spirit. Now, before we even move on, we've got to get this straight. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We say all that all the time here. We are the dwelling of the Holy Spirit together, his church, his bride, Right? So it says, so are you. The way the Holy Spirit is, so are you. As you're filled with God, you're just like your father. Remember that from last week, okay? You're just like your father. You're the father's son, okay? Okay, I wanted that to bring us back to where we were. Now, um, go with me to Psalm chapter 2 and verse 7. Now, I told you we're going to get ready because we're going to run through a whole bunch of scriptures. We're starting here kind of in review, but we're going to get a bunch of new stuff because, now here's the real warning, because where we're going to end up today, you're not going to be able to go there unless you start completely grounded in the Father's love. You hear me say it. You cannot interpret anything correctly in this book unless you're interpreting from the Father's love. And his love, like we sang about, is a jealous love. Okay, his love is a love that, um, <clears throat> his love is a love that can ground you in what he wants to do in your life. Okay, you will be offended by God if not grounded in his love. Amen? <laughs> 
and you're going you're gonna to not like me and be offended by me because I'm about to speak words of God. So you've got to be grounded in his love. That's why we're starting this way. Now, as I read these couple of verses from the psalm, here's what I want you to do. Just relax and let your spirit listen for the truth in it. Okay, is that fair? Okay. Psalm 2, verse 7, starting there. This is David saying what the Lord has said of him, okay? So he says, I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Now I want you to see something. Before we move on, you have to see this. There's a progression here. Okay? Do you know that it is no mistake that it starts with God saying to him, you are my son, today I've begotten you. Why? Because it has to start there. Everything starts with you as his son. And then what? What next? Ask. (laughs) Ask of me. You understand, if you're not a son, you won't ask. I mean, you won't. Let's do, let's do this. Um, can you imagine yourself back as like 16 years old again? It might be hard for some of you, but give it a try. Um, 12. <laughs> yeah, our speaker, like two weeks ago, he, he's, he is still 12. Um, and you need a car, right? So imagine this, um, this ridiculous scenario, okay? You go next door and you ask someone else's father, okay? You just walk into the house and you go, um, Daddy, even though it's someone else's daddy, I need a car. He would look at you like you're nuts and throw you out of the house, right? What are you doing in my house? And of course, you'd never do that. The ridiculousness started at... At doing that. You see, in this Psalms, first it declares you're my son. I've begotten you today. Therefore, it makes sense to ask. (laughs) And then what? The progression, and then you get the inheritance. Now listen to me. I think that we live in a certain type of Christian poverty where we're not grounded in the Father's love. So we don't even ask. We're going to get a handle on that this morning, okay? My prayer um, for days now has been that the Spirit would move to literally transform hearts so that you can be grounded in the love, so that you have the assurance of the Father's love so you actually start asking Him for your inheritance so that you can have it. Do you want that? You see, you're a son of God. Today, he's begotten you. You're born, that's why it's the entry to the kingdom. You're born, you have to be born into the kingdom because you have to be a son of the royal family to go to the father and say, I want my inheritance. You go to him as a bride. I feel like I have to put this one in. You know, I'm a total sucker for this woman, (laughs) for my wife. Pretty much no matter what, I mean, there, there's just, there's not a no. Like, I, I was trying to think of an example, and I came up with this silly one. We have um, a little house, um, so we have, there's not room in the kitchen. I should say we have a little kitchen. So there's no pantry in there. So it's almost a daily event where she says, you know, can, Paul, can you grab me a can of tomatoes from the pantry? Now, probably in her house, you'd go, sure. And you'd go like this, and you go, here you go. In our house, you have to put on boots, grab a coat, walk, kick the snow off, walk around to the back, undo the pan, the bare locks on the pantry. <laughs> in the dark, lock it back up, bring it back. Here's your can of tomatoes. And I've gotten to the, po- but you know that I never say no. Why? I've never said no. Get your own tomatoes. <laughs> First of all, I'd kind of be in trouble probably, but. But she's the bride. You see, if you asked me for that can of tomatoes, I just got to be honest with you, I'd probably say no. <laughs> but not, the, not for her. 
because she's the bride. You see, if my son, if someone else's son asks me for something, I'm, I like kids, so I'd probably do it anyway. But when it's my son, if it's for his good, he's going to get it. You see, a son, a bride, it's so important. That's the starting place. And you know, uh, I've got to do this. Jesus, you know Jesus intercedes for you. You know what he's doing? I, I, be, I really believe he's sitting there going, come on, Daddy, can we do this for fill in your name? And the, something I'm absolutely certain of, I'm absolutely certain Jesus never requests of the Father unless it's for your good. And the Holy Spirit is never dispatched to do it unless it's for your good. Thank God for that. Okay, go with me to Luke um, 11 and verse 9. And when you get there, keep your finger there um, because I skipped a scripture and I don't want to. Um, put your finger there and then go to James um, chapter 4, verse 2. Okay, James. James says, Yet you do not have because you do not ask. Okay, that's the thing. You, you can also understand that you're a son and not ask. So I'm going to tell you there's two problems. One is, is being outside of sonship, which you would have to do that to yourself. <laughs> Wounds would have to do that to you. Jesus has made it so that you're a son in as much as you receive and accept your sonship. Amen. But then we've got to ask. Then we've got to be worthy. Do you know that you're worthy because of Jesus? Like if you can just get a handle on that, you can put a lot of things aside. You can start asking for your inheritance. At, listen to me. As long as your worth has something to do with you, what you're able to do or not able to do, or how well you're performing or anything else, you are forfeiting your inheritance because you will never, ever receive your inheritance because of you. You will receive your inheritance because Jesus did what was necessary to make you a son, to be born into the family. Okay, now let's go to Luke 11. I want you to see the heart of a father because like I say, you've, if you don't get this, you've got to be grounded in the father's love or you're going to be offended before we're done. Here in verse 9 it says, So I say to you, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. We've got some promises there. If a son asks for bread, who? If a son <laughs> asks for bread. So that's what we're talking about. A son asks for bread from any father among you. So we're talking about earthly fathers. Dinglings like me, not, not Father God yet. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, speaking in comparison, an earthly father compared to God, you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now listen, I know you've heard that before, but I, I want you to notice something. What, what, is this, what is Jesus really talking about? Asking for. The Holy Spirit. And we've got to get, we've got to go back to where we started this morning. In other words, it's asking for the inheritance. The Holy Spirit is the kingdom of God, is the presence of God in this place. He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will live among you. His plan was always that his presence himself would be in you and that is your inheritance. You know that for the Levites, he said, as they were dividing out portions of worldly inheritance to them, the, the, Levite, the, the priests were the ones who didn't get a chunk of that inheritance why because it said that God was their inheritance he himself was their portion 
Who's the priest in here? Amen. So you're saying, how much more will your heavenly Father give you the inheritance if you ask him? I challenge us to, to believe that. Father, I, I have faith, but help me where I don't have faith. <laughs> Heal me where I'm not healthy enough to believe you when you say I'm your beloved son so that I may be powerful enough to walk before you, my loving father, and ask. <laughs> because if you don't ask, you're not getting... He said, it, it literally says, ask. <laughs> ask, what was the psalm? Today I say you're my son. Ask and I will give you the inheritance. You've got to ask. And if something's in the way of the asking, you've got something to talk about with God. We're going there this morning. Uh, go to Luke 22 and verse 28. You know this is one of my favorite verses, or you're going to know, because it seems like I, most of the time when it's a Lord's Supper Sunday, I, I have to include this verse. <laughs> verse 28, it says, But you are those who have continued with me in my trials. And I bestow a kingdom upon... Uh, let me try that again. And I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now here's what I want you to focus on. What does he say? He says, I bestow a kingdom upon you just as my father bestowed one upon me. Do you understand that you do not bestow a kingdom on anyone besides your son? Right? You might invite people. You know, there are other types. There's all kinds of worldly types of citizenships. Right? You could invite people to be a citizen of, diff of other types of citizenships. Come on in. Be a citizen. Enjoy, uh, enjoy some of the citizen benefits. Protection, provision, peace, prosperity might be some of those. Or, um, you know, well, well, we'll leave it at that. There's, do you know there are many types of citizenships and this is a particular type? This is a son. When you bestow the whole kingdom, it is only upon a son. And he bestows a kingdom on you. You know those words are for you? Raise your hand if those words are for you. We've got to pray for a couple of people in here. <laughs> Okay, I want to I show you something really powerful and then, and then we're going to move into the second part here. Um, this is really just, you've got to be grounded in the Father's love. Are you convinced that there's nothing more important than the foundation, the assurance of the Father's love over your life? It's the starting place. So, you know the story of the prodigal son. Um, and if you want to, start turning there. It's Luke chapter 15. Um, for time's sake, I'm not going to read the whole story. I think for the most part you know it. I'm going to read the beginning and the end because I believe God really wants me to point something out that perhaps um, you've not noticed before. To do this, um, we're going to start in verse 11. And here it says, Then he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, Give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he, speaking of the father, divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Okay, now participate with me. And Liz, if you could put back up verse 12, please. What did the younger son 
ask for? So what did you say? The lust of the flesh. Okay. Lust of the flesh. And he asked for his portion. Right? I want my portion. Okay, now go to Luke. Skip down to verse 31. This is the second son. Okay, the second son comes and... um, Actually, this is the father's response to the second son. And you know what the second son's doing. The second son's going, what? He just comes back and he, he gets everything. He just gets your love. Haven't you seen what he's done? And, and all of that. This is the father's response. In verse 31, the father responds, Son, you're always with me and all that I have is yours. It was good and right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Now, here's what I want you to see. (laughs) What does the Father say the sons have? Everything. Everything. You see, the sons thought in measure, but the Father never did. Nobody cheered, so let's try this. That's really good news. (laughs) The sons think of inheritance in terms of portion, but the Father always has in mind to give the whole thing. (laughs) I can always count on you, brother. (laughs) That's such good news. Is that normally how you think? You don't have to answer right now. You see, we do that. We think, give me a little bit. Or if I could just have, we think in portions. And when it comes to the inheritance, which is the kingdom of God, which is the spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, he doesn't think in portions. Okay? Never will there be a day in in my life that I think about my son in terms of like, well, I'll give him a little bit of the inheritance or whatever. Um, but you understand that if, if, if he thinks that way, then that is the reality of his poverty. Is that true? Okay? I, as the father, can just, can just be completely like, everything I have is yours. I am giving you everything I have. In fact, I'm not giving it future tense. It's already yours. And that's in this parable here, too. He's saying, all that I have is yours. When your, when your brother left with some of the portion, he, he left with something, but that's not the inheritance. All of the inheritance, all of it is yours. He never thinks in portion about you being filled with the Holy Spirit, being the place of his glory, being the manifestation of the kingdom. It is not in portion. <laughs> he desires to give you the inheritance. Now listen to me. Like any good father, he is not going to give you what destroys you, (laughs) even himself. He's not going to put himself in measure such upon you in ways that you cannot handle, glory that you cannot handle that weight of glory. But he's growing you. That's why we're growing. Does that make sense? But it will never be his intention that you get a portion of him. It's never going to be his goal that you get some of the kingdom, some of himself. It is always his love is from a father to a son. It is always going to be his intention that you get the whole inheritance. He is desperately trying, he is desperately loving you right at this very minute, growing you into someone who can carry the weight of that glory. Amen? And just in case you're not convinced, um, go to John chapter 3. <laughs> I, have to tell you the, um, I have to tell you the context on this one. What's going on here is that the disciples of John, the Baptist, are coming back. They see Jesus baptizing. Um, they see Jesus starting to have this successful ministry. So they come to John the Baptist, and they're going, John, you've really got to be aware of this. This Jesus guy that you were testifying about, he's taken over your ministry. <laughs> like they're sticking up for John. That's what's going on. You've got to go put a stop to this. 
And in verse, uh, let's see, John 3, let's do, start in verse 30. It says, he mu- this is John speaking of Jesus. He says, he must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven, oops, I read that already. Oh, no, it's repeated. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies. And no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony, which is Jesus, has certified that God is true. Now listen, this is why we're reading this. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. really good news (laughs) because I want the whole inheritance (laughs) yes I do okay we're going to go back to Esau from last week okay very quickly um, because I told you we're going to march here sorry about that but God wants to do something big I believe that um This is the story. So y'all remember, Esau sells his birthright, right? Let's just read this. Here's the story. Starting, this is Genesis 25 and starting in verse 29. It says, now Jacob cooked a stew and Esau came in from the field and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew for I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die, so what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. He despised his inheritance. Now you'll notice, I don't even think we read it today, so I'll just say it. You notice on your bulletin is the verse where it says, um, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. Wow. Hated? That's what it says. The despiser of birthright. Now go with me to Genesis 27 and verse 33. Here it says, then Isaac, so, so the context here is um, Jacob has fulfilled what was declared. Do you know your words are powerful? Do you know that the transactions you make with people um, become spiritual realities that God honors? It really does impact your way, the words you have with people, the contracts that you make with people. Okay, that's what we're reading. This is a contract here. And then, and then you see here where we're reading in chapter 27, you see that it's facilitated. The contract that was made gets facilitated even without the knowledge of their father Isaac. Jacob tricks Isaac into getting the birthright that, that would have been Esau's had he not sold it. And this, the context here is Esau is now coming to get his blessing. He's just learned that, um, that Jacob got his blessing. Okay, that's the context. And it says, Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who? So he's responding to who was here before to get the blessing. Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came and have blessed him. And indeed he shall be blessed. You see, Isaac understands how it works. He knows that God honors integrity, the power. He knows that God put power in our tongue because he loves you like that, okay? He knows that, and he's just saying, it's, it's happened. And when, he, when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. 
In Hebrews chapter 12, actually, I, did I give you 12, uh, 14 to 17? Okay, let's put that up. Here we're getting a list, okay? We're getting a list of things to do. It's some of the most misinterpreted stuff every time because it's usually interpreted outside of the Father's love. <laughs> but if you interpret it from within the Father's love, within a grounded understanding that your Father is crazy about you and is trying to give you the entire inheritance, then we can interpret this rightly. And it starts in verse 14. It says, Pursue peace with all people in holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, I'm going to read on in a minute, so st stay there, but I want you to realize what's going on. What's this list? This is, these are instructions for how to live in your inheritance, okay? This is not a salvation passage. You cannot earn your being saved. You cannot earn God's being pleased with you. Do you know that? You don't earn a father's being pleased with you. <laughs> these are instructions in the spirit of a father who wants you to fully enjoy and live in your entire inheritance okay that's what we're reading and it goes on lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble and by this many become defiled now listen to this here's why we're reading this lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau <laughs> who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. Profane person. Do you hear what God thinks is profane? What he hates? Despising your birthright. Why? Because he's your father who is crazy about you. <laughs> More than anything else, he wants you to be living in the fullness of your inheritance. Just like even, even a really terrible earthly father, it'll drive you nuts over a son. You want the best for them. You're trying to give them everything. All that I have is yours. And, and your decisions, your actions, the things that you're doing despise what I'm trying to give you. Amen? And what did he sell it for? I think we're going to talk about this next week. I thought it was going to be this week, and then God said, no, maybe next week. So <sighs> do you see what he sold it for? It literally goes on. It says, profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. I'm just going to throw this out there. For another hunger. Now, there's so much insight there. For some other hunger. That's what made him profane. He had another hunger. <laughs> Something more valuable than the birthright of the Holy Spirit of God himself, in our case. This is a physical picture. In our case, the, the very kingdom of God itself, the Holy Spirit himself, that's what God wants to give you. Not a portion of it, the whole thing. <laughs> And I don't know about you, I was, as I was doing this, I was incredibly convicted over how many things that, that compete, how many things are despising to the presence of God in my life so that the kingdom of God can be manifest in this dark place, so that I can be in the kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I found myself crying out, Father, please help me stop despising my birthright. I want your presence more than anything else. And I want you to notice, we're going to go into, if you want to start turning there, we're going to go into Mark <clears throat> chapter 3 here. But I want you to notice that, you know, there are not many places where there are like irredeemable things in the scripture. Why is that? Because there's nothing outside of God's ability to redeem. <laughs> so you don't see that very often. But, but here, actually I didn't read it. 
And, and that's okay, I'm going to read it now. You don't even have to put it up. It says, he was rejected. Uh, it says, for you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, speaking of Esau, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Think about the weight of that. I mean, here we've got something that was sold for another hunger, and it, it couldn't be gotten back. You don't hear that very often in the Word of God, but I want to show you something. Go to Mark chapter 3. We'll start in verse 28. And I just, I'd have to give you the context of this one because it, it's, it's the context here in the story and it's God's desire that it should be our context now. Okay? Because this is the context. Jesus is going around in the power of the Holy Spirit and he is manifesting the kingdom of God. In other words, the person of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus is making the kingdom reality for people, in front of people. The kingdom is happening. Okay? That's the context. And it is making Pharisees and religious leaders and people who want to maintain control and be God instead of let God be God so that the kingdom can actually be manifest. That's the context. Okay? And so here in verse, um, I should have said verse 20, which means I bet I gave it to you wrong. Yeah. That sounds like me. That's okay. So if it's not up here and stuff, and you, you, if you have your Bibles, go, go to verse 20. So here's what's happening. It says, then the multitude came together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. In other words, they couldn't stop for lunch. The crowd gathering up was so, so great. The kingdom is drawing people in such crowds. There's no time for lunch. Sounds like when, never mind. <laughs> but when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him for they said he's out of his mind. Listen to what they're saying about Jesus. He's manifesting the kingdom of God. He's healing the sick. And in this case, they're specifically pointing out he's casting out demons. He's setting the oppressed free. And they're saying he's out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said he has Beelzebub, a name for the devil. And by the ruler of the demons, he, ca he casts out demons. <laughs> what... What are they really saying? I mean, what's really happening here? Who are they really lying about? That's what I want to ask. About the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see that next. They're lying about the person that is the manifest presence of God, the presence of the kingdom in their time right there on the street. And it goes on, um, verse 23, as you all know this passage, Jesus answers and says, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Now, now I'm going to skip, okay, because I, I really want you to see, you know what, let's do this, though. You've got to catch this. What is it that they are having a problem with in this passage? Because if you don't get this, you, you'll misinterpret what Jesus says next. That's it. You've got to be grounded in the context here. The problem they are having with Jesus is that he is full of the Holy Spirit manifesting the reality of the kingdom of God. That's what they can't stand. And it, it grieves me to say you can look around some of the church these days and we are those scribes. We want to keep control. There's the idolatry of control going on out there. And this is what Jesus says in verse, I want to skip to 28. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they may utter. Blasphemies are lies about God. And he says, but he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is subject to eternal condemnation. Isn't it crazy to hear Jesus talking about eternal condemnation? He came to set the world free in the desire of God that all would be saved, that all would become sons that receive the entire inheritance of the kingdom. And here he's saying, what's the one thing? It's just like Esau. 
was the one thing that could not be regained when the inheritance is despised. Despise, we said this last week, simply means to not esteem or to esteem other things over. Now, I, I have to ask you, is there anything that God cannot forgive? No. Anything that is outside of his capability to have mercy for in the finished work of the spilled blood of Jesus Christ that he cannot forgive? No. So I want to tell you what you're reading about here. What this is about. This is about the heart of a man that is turned away from God. Okay? This is about, what this is saying is that why, why would it not be forgiven? It would not be forgiven because we're talking about a heart of a man that is not seeking it. In order for this to be so in the first place, we're talking about a heart, the heart of a man that is opposed to the Holy Spirit the inheritance of the kingdom. It's the heart of a man that values something over the presence of God in our midst, setting people free, healing the sick, opening blind eyes, clearing disease. And, and you see that physical picture in Esau forfeiting the inheritance and you see it now in the very words of Jesus in the new kingdom in, in the time when he said the kingdom is upon you Jesus is manifesting that kingdom and the religious leaders who love control and prestige and everything else they have to shut it down so they lie about the Holy Spirit they despise the birthright that is manifesting in their presence Blaspheming is despising the inheritance. Okay, I've got, I've got three more scriptures and then, and then I'm certain half the time I don't know what the Lord's going to do, but this time I believe I know. <laughs> I think he told me. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 63 and we're going to start in verse 7. I'm just going to warn you, for me, I, I ran into these words, I, I believe, a few weeks ago. I haven't heard them in a long time. And the words that we're about to read, are, I think, are the most horrible. I should say it this way. They are the most horrifying words to me personally that are in this entire book. This is a passage where um, it is talking about the history of Israel his chosen people, who are part of his chosen people now. We are. And it's talking about the loving kindness of a father, okay? It's speaking of Israel in terms of the father's son, Israel as one man, okay? That's what we're reading. In verse 7, it says, I will mention the loving kindness. You know that's one word. <laughs> I didn't realize that. I'm, really, I'm a bad speller. And loving kindness is one word, and when you look at it, it's really long. It's like that long. <laughs> Sorry about that. I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord has bestowed on us and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he has bestowed on them according to his mercies. I have to stop. What has he bestowed on you? Huh? The Holy Spirit, the kingdom. He says, I bestow on you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one on, on me. I send you the promise of the Holy Spirit. So this is the physical picture of your spiritual reality now. Okay? Bestowed on them according to his mercies, according to the multitude of his loving kindness. You've got to love that multitude of his loving kindness. In other words, there are many kinds. It's not a whole bunch of it, it's a multitude. <laughs> you can just let that fly by. Sorry about that. For he said, Surely they are my people, children who will not lie.
So, <laughs> oh, Father. So he became their savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence, now I want you to notice that's capitalized. In other words, that's, that's the Holy Spirit, okay? And it, it identifies it as Jesus and as the Spirit of God. The angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them and he bore them and carried them all the days of old. Now listen. Verse 10, it says, But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit, so he turned himself against them as an enemy, and he fought against them. Do you hear those horrifying words? Why did he turn? We're talking about God. This just said, God turned against them as their enemy. Now, why did he do that? Huh? Because he grieved the whole because, because he's crazy about them, because the Israel is his son. <laughs> he loves them. He is trying to give them the whole inheritance, always and forever, never will stop. And if required, he will turn against them. He will turn against us. He is trying to give us the inheritance. He'll turn and fight against those who despise and grieve the birthright. Okay, I want to give you this quickly. Um, two ways that we despise the birthright. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30 is the first one. We're just going to look at little bites here. You've read these before. I just want to clarify because I believe the, the Holy Spirit's going to do a real powerful time of ministry here. He's going to heal some things and set some things free. In verse 30 it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do you notice that it's your seal? It's, in other words, it's your... It's your authorizing certificate to be a, a citizen of the kingdom starting right now. It's the seal. Do not grieve him. The word grieve literally means, well, it means grieve, but it also means um, to distress or make sor sorry or sorrowful. To distress God, the presence of God here now. To distress him, to make him sorry. Can you think of other places in the word of God where people made God sorry? Um, like how about Noah and the flood? They grieved him. They made him sorry over what he'd made and what he'd done. And what did he do? He turned against them. He became their enemy and fought against them. He flooded them. He wiped out humanity except for that remnant that would carry the glory of God for your sake, because he's crazy in love with you, into the future now, okay? Distress him. Now I'm going to read on. Verse 31 says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking put, be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Do you see what you're getting is instructions? Not instructions for how to try hard and perform well, but instructions for you to live in the inheritance he's trying to give you. In other, namely, the filling of the Holy Spirit to such incredible measure that you're manifesting the kingdom of God like Jesus did. So grieving, there's the first way. How do we grieve? You notice it's a list of sinning. It's a list of things that, that are vile to God. Grieves the Holy Spirit. It makes him sorrowful. It shuts down the Holy Spirit because he becomes full of sorrow. He's not going there with you. And the second one is quench, which I'm going to suggest is the same thing as blaspheme. Okay? Now look, in, go to 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Here it says, rejoice always. 
We're getting a list again, right? How do you live in the inheritance, in the presence, in the power of the Holy Spirit so that you are the walking kingdom? You are the walking place of God's glory, the full inheritance of the kingdom. Saying, pray without ceasing in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now listen, it says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. That's instructions to you. Now I want to point some things out. You know, um, quench literally means extinguish. This is do not extinguish the fire. Do not extinguish the spirit. Do you know another place the word quench is used? In, that, in this case, it's the flip side. It's saying do quench. What are you to quench? Somebody's got it. It's saying do quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. In Ephesians 6, do quench that. <laughs> do not quench the presence of God in this place, in your family, in your heart, in your life. Do not quench that. That's the other way. And you know what quenching is? Think of the story we just read with Jesus. What did they do? What were they upset with? They were upset with him showing up in power, <laughs> full of the Holy Spirit, manifesting the reality of the kingdom of God. And so they began to blaspheme. They began to quench it. They began to lie about the Spirit of God. They began to take very real, genuine manifestations of the kingdom of God and say it's of the devil or it's not real. We refuse to believe in that. That's quenching. Okay? So what? There are the two things. There's grieving. There are the things that God is not going to walk with you in. Grieving the Holy Spirit. And there's quenching. There's a lack of faith in what? Do you know that, that quenching the Holy Spirit boils down to where we started? It is, listen to me now, it is a lack of faith in the goodness of the Father's heart over sons. It's not believing that he desires more than anything else for him to be our God and we to be his people in his presence to live among us. His presence to be right here, setting free, healing, inviting people into the kingdom. It's despising the inheritance. I warned you. I told you that we, <laughs> it's very quiet. I told you you're going to have to really get grounded in the Father's love for where we're going. Are you tired like me of grieving and quenching of the Holy Spirit? Do you look around? We had um, um, Peter Russell was here a few weeks ago, and, and at the dinner he was giving us testimonies of the, of the Holy Spirit free, the kingdom of God moving in such powerful ways. Do you ever get tired of looking around at the church and wondering where the presence of God is? Why do the sick just stay sick? I'm going to put it out there, and I put myself in the boat with you guys. We're grieving, we're quenching, and we're sons. <laughs> it's not his will. He's, he's trying to give you the kingdom. I'm going. Anybody going with me? Okay. All right, listen, I have one more thing to say, and I'm just going to wrap up with a, a little bit of ministry. I know, I'm, I'm fully aware that many of you, if not all of you, Many of you have been harmed by the church. I know that that's true. Many of you have had your relationship with the Holy Spirit harmed by what people have done on both sides of the spectrum. Shut you down, quenched the Spirit in you when, when the Spirit began to, to, to move you to participate with him. That's happened. 
Some of you have had the opposite. You've had religious, legalism, spiritual abuse. Do you know that's even done in charismatic places? Okay? Can't be an elder here if you don't speak in tongues. You've had... I know that... And here's the thing. I'm not making light, okay? What I'm saying is, is spiritual abuse is real. And the wounds that they leave have lasting impact on your relationship with the persons of the Trinity of the Godhead. It's real. And I know that it's in this room because I've never been anywhere where it hasn't been true, including my own heart, okay? And so we're just going to pray. The first thing we're going to do, we're going to ask God to heal. Um, would you do me a favor? Would everybody just, just close your eyes for a moment? And if you know that you have been harmed in a way like that by silly people who didn't understand God because we're all silly, would you just raise your hand so I can see where you're at? You know you've been harmed. Okay, thank you. I see you. I see you all over the place. Yes, okay. All right. Okay, thank you, God. Would you just, just take some deep breaths? The presence of God is always with you, but invite him to make himself real to you right now. Father God, I pray that, that um, your spirit would become tangible in the hearts of people right now. We just ask you for a miracle. In the strong name of Jesus, I speak a blessing over the people here. And I am asking you to heal hearts. I'm asking you to cast out lies of what the truth is about you, Holy Spirit, that we want to honor this morning. I declare in the name of Jesus that people are being set free to believe the truth about you. That the ability to, to believe that you are being sent from the Father's heart to sons, daughters, brides in this place for the release of the kingdom of God. And I am believing that new freedom to move in the Holy Spirit, to believe that you want the kingdom to manifest is being restored in the name of Jesus now. And just receive that. Receive that in faith. Let him bring it into reality in the days ahead of you. Be healed in the name of Jesus. And Father, we forgive those who have done that to the precious hearts here, who have wielded the Holy Spirit like a legalism like a Pharisee would. And we forgive those who have quenched and shut down when you have begun to manifest in these beautiful hearts. And they were doing exactly what you asked them to do. You were trying to give them the joy of being a full citizen in your kingdom, participating with you, and it got stomped on. And we forgive them in your name, Jesus, for doing that. And I pray that you are restoring the freedom to anticipate your movement with joy. I cast out the spirit of fear for the things of the spiritual and the things that you want to do in this body. Okay, now we're going to give the Holy Spirit a chance to speak to you. Okay, are you ready for him to speak to you? Father, I ask right now that you would reveal in the hearts of your people ways that they grieve you, ways that they are shutting down your desire to manifest in them. There is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. Whatever he just shared with you, he shared it with you because he wants to take it. So would you just take, if he just shared something with you, would you just put it in your hand and hold it out to him and he spilled the blood. He paid the price to take that grieving sin and those things that, that, that shut him down. He wants to take it away. 
He's trying to be free. Just hold it out and hand it to him. Thank you, Jesus. One more question. Lord, I ask that you would reveal in the hearts of your sons and daughters today ways that we are quenching you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for paying the price that you can completely cover the fact that we quench. And I ask right now that you are restoring the ability to believe. We no longer want you to be quenched in this place, Lord. Let your fire burn. Let it rage. We renounce the spirit of control. We, we cast out, we bind religious spirits in the strong name of Jesus right now. There will not be religious spirits here. There will only be one spirit in this body of Christ. You, Holy Spirit, we honor you. We praise you. We repent, we turn away from quenching you and we, are, we, are, we fan the flames of your activity and your presence in our lives in this place. In the name of Jesus, amen.